It's the beginning, not the end. Gonna listen to emus in the rain. I want a podcast with my friends who use all hundred percent of their brain. It's on a miracle. Miracle. Left my home back in Omaha. See if I can make it out in the world. And I got as far as Wichita. Suddenly I wasn't sure anymore. Lost all my friends in Los Angeles. And I'm not welcome in New York. But I must stop back in Omaha Where the fans, they always crying out for Welcome to report number 115, August 1st, Wanted to prove it to my family everybody, all and sundry Listeners far and Wanted to prove it to myself Clea was saying before we got started that this was going to be a little weird because consecutively speaking, this is the first episode we've had in a while without Story, even though Story is now only a, you know, uh, irregular guest star as opposed to When is he moving? Member, Isn't he going to be over here soon? Yeah, he's already on transit. He's, he's yep. taking his magical mystery tour across the United States. We're going to be doing a show, by the way, a uh, programming note, with uh, Clea, Russ, myself, and Story. All four of us will be doing a show, and it will be a video show. Uh, it will be a very dramatic video show with all of us in the same place at the same time, which has never happened in a video format. So this is Whatever MEP history. Whatever happened to that video that we made? made? I still <laughs> have it. I still have it. It's in the secret MEP vault. <laughs> I, I well, have it, but I haven't video. been able to. I just haven't been able to process it and, you know, edit lock and it key. and stuff like that. No, it's uh, it's on my hard drive, but I just have to edit it, and I haven't had time. The emu stands watch. Russ is way behind. Yeah, no, Russ He's is like, We're going to have to stop for a second, give him a moment to catch up. I don't know what I'm doing here. I've, I've like, foregone my usual MEP setup because I have a laptop now, and I'm just, like, moving it all over the room and, like, lying on the floor and trying oh. to figure out. Oh, right. no. This is, like, oh, the no. most distracting thing in the world. So oh, like, God. Maybe prone MEP reporting. Maybe lying on the couch oh, MEP reporting. <laughs> oh, no. Like, we didn't uh, think he was distracted enough. I know. Seriously. Now it's all, you, you could know. go take a bath or... <laughs> Exactly. He go lean out his window. Hello. Yeah, I don't know. What are you doing? I'm doing a show. Join me. Do you have a little pool in your? Isn't that what they do have in like in California? You have little apartment complexes with pools. Yeah, you have yeah. a pool, right? I went swimming today, actually. Oh God. Yeah. Got out of the pool. That's all I do, really. I sit in the pool. I, I like my favorite thing is to sit on the bottom of the pool and meditate and uh, be like Michael Valentine Smith from my favorite book, Stranger in a Strange Land. He could do it for, you know, hours because he was a Martian. I can do it for, you know, 50 seconds, but it's still fun okay. to watch people walk by the pool and see a person sitting on the floor and be concerned. Yeah, I, I, you like I, you like making people concerned. Yes, I do. I'd okay, say that a lot of Russ's life is predicated on making people concerned. That's, you know. <laughs> That's the whole goal. Well, don't That's try right. that with your laptop, Russ. <laughs> yeah, that would be a bad idea. You're like, guys are going to try an experiment. <laughs> and that's it. I think you, there are, like, laptops you can take down there, right? You just put them in protective cases or yeah. something? Well, there's some that I think actually sort of mock, you know, the ability of nature to affect it. Like, the Panasonic Tough Book is supposedly like, we put this thing and they show, they show like, you know, 
like pistons hammering on the keys and like people you know they're this this thing is you know indestructible and blah 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 so they kind of i think you should get one of those russ and then you could literally do things like that you know you could be and you could we could have a report like you could do a show from like the top of everest and like you know below a pond and you know below a pond below a surface of a pool you know we bring you to the mapper part Blow a pond. All of a sudden, it's like deep core. No one podcast going where no podcast has gone before to the bottom of a pond. And broadcasting from a depth of 1,800 barometers at Lake Oswego. For the bottom Slide. of ponds, it's probably only like 10 feet. I know. <laughs> I have to put him in like one of those old and style dry suits with a big helmet. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah, that would be cool. Then he talk into his microphone. We can Actually, yeah, you it. should record this from one of those old-style submarines. You know, like the submersible. They had a thing called a submersible capsule, I think is what they used to call it. And it's just a round thing that a ship would drop, and, you know, then it could be pulled up again. So you should do is that. It should be in a submersible capsule. That's you don't much... escape anywhere because nobody wants to be stranded at the bottom of the sea in a pod. But it's like the same thing. Yeah, basically. It's the same kind of idea. It was a round thing that they dropped. That but you get into out of the main ship and get in, and then you're prone and helpless. Because and, escape pods never have weapons. They never have good motivation. You can't go anywhere. It's all just, you just drop. Escaping. Yeah, there's no escaping yeah. from the escape pod. Well, the, but I think that the, the other thing is, too, that you would probably have reasonably good audio quality in a modern submersible pod. So you need to kind of roughen up, it, roughen up the, um, the broadcast to sort of keep it consistent with the, you know, being in a submersible capsule, like old-time stuff. I'm sure so there's effects like that we can <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, standing behind, sitting underneath the 10 feet no, of... You do Ladies and gentlemen, right, exactly. <laughs> and, and you have to have a diving bell. Bing, 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 bing. Right, right. You know, dive, dive. That reminds me of Disneyland, the old submarine ride, which they got rid of. Yeah, I have a game called like Lost Treasure. Of silence. When you dive, it. Oh, sorry. I am now emerging from the submerged. <laughs> <laughs> I see at the bottom a sea monster. Dear God. That's I, I used to have a game, I still have a game actually, called uh, Lost Treasure, where you've played that with me, Cleo, where you go to this one spot and then you have to dive, and as you're diving, it's, you know, ding, 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 and this is back in the, this is like late this 80s. This is a board game? Yeah, it's a board game. It's like, this is the late 80s where everything is <laughs> oh based upon God. audio sounds. You know, it's like Dark Tower, but not nearly as good. I was going to say, that sounds like Dark Tower. So it has yeah. Some- it's called Lost Treasure, and it's uh, you know, and it's one of these things where you bring your ship around, and then you uh, find this place, and then you then you dive, and you search for treasures at different levels. But if you're not careful, you'll run out of air, and then you'll lose all the treasure. Yeah, you haven't played this with me. I've never heard this before. Oh yeah, I have it at my mom's house. So I'll have to play with you next. Oh time. well, that's but, probably why. Yeah, it's very very uh, very very cool. It's like it's like the secret map vault. It's Greg's secret stash of board games. Yes, it's his the attic in his mom's. It would not surprise me uh, if I had a, if uh, there was a secret stash that even I am not aware of games that i've forgotten that's possible i do have a well-known uh, old uh, solo game called chainsaw warrior um which is a game that is notable for being nearly impossible to win it is a character that goes through this house at the center of which is an alien force called darkness only called darkness and the way that you advance through the house is you draw cards to sort of reflect that you're exploring the house but the thing is that the only thing that kills darkness is this one thing called like i don't know like a laser spear Light? or something i'm sorry 
uh, and a laser spear or something like that. And so you have to find it before darkness finds you. But it's totally random, right? Like the rest of the time, you're just fighting monsters. This and you set really up the, scary, Craig. Yeah, it's a great. I mean, it's a it's a it's a good game in one sense. But as you sort of look back at it, you're like, it's a terrible game mechanic, like because it's completely random. But you know, when I was you know ten, it didn't feel like a random mechanic. It was cool because it was a solo game. And why I is could, this? Why is that a bad so. game me- mechanic? There's lots of randomness in certain games. Yeah, but if you build up your guy and you've got all this stuff, and you're like, yeah, I'm the man, and then you come across darkness, and darkness is like insta kill. Russ, oh, you know, well, that's yeah. not that's yeah. frustrating. That would be Russ would take the game and where, throw it against the wall. Right. But where did the stuff. chainsaw come in? I don't get it. Yeah. That, well, you—that's your main weapon is a chainsaw. Like you kill because there's other things you have to kill, like zombies and other creatures. Uh, and, I thought uh, you were going to say that it's it's realistic because it isn't really that efficient to take on an army of anything with a chainsaw because it keeps jamming and you run out of gas. And <laughs> they approach no, you actually, by your non-chainsaw wielding side, and it's too yeah. heavy. And, that's right. That's right. Well, it is a two-handed weapon, isn't it? Um, yes, Definitely. yes, it is yeah. indeed. And when you get this thing, whatever, unless it's you're that laser. guy from what was that, the Army of Darkness? Army of Darkness. Well, that's because he had it like implanted onto his arm. It was like grafted onto his arm, so right. he didn't need to use two hands. You know, I know. That's why I said it. And it wasn't powered by you know. Oh, and speaking How of this, how was it powered? I think it was powered with his. I don't know. His yeah, with his like bloodstream. His bloodstream like, or something. To his veins. Like that. Oh, God. His heart yeah. Was- the chainsaw forward. Bruce so Campbell was like, didn't work for because it would only go rum 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 rum. What pulse is your? Just listen. Rum 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 rum. Yes, he'd have to like work himself up into this frenzy to get the chainsaw to work properly, <laughs> which would fit Army of Darkness actually. Yeah. Um, I swear, the next one of you primates that yeah. Um, but I was going to say, speaking of that, have uh, you guys have Russ may have heard this, but have you guys heard uh, that uh, not only is there a new a World of Warcraft movie that's going to be coming out, but they have signed a director to play it? Do you know who the director is? Yeah, I may have heard this, and I may have posted this on the blog last week. Also, <laughs> oh, that's right, you did. That's right, it, that's true. I forgot you. <laughs> is did. that where you found out about it, Greg? No, I no, I knew about this before. I knew about this before, but How Russ had already before? posted it. Oh, not very long before, because he did it shortly after the announcement. But I had seen it on my mm-hmm. uh, my news uh, Yahoo news sites. Yeah, um, Sam Raimi, the director of Spider Man One, Two, and Three, and director of Army of Darkness. Um, I thought it was a different director for this. Number Three. Oh, was it? Oh, I don't know. So, well, at least one and two, though. Then he was directed, and. There's been an interesting sort of mixed reaction. Like, a lot of people were like, instant credibility. And then there were some other people who were like, well, Raimi's a little erratic, which is kind of where I am. I think that Raimi's fine, but I wouldn't say that the Spider-Mans were unmitigated successes. So if it were like, you know, Brian Singer for some God knows why reason. do I mean, I guess people were saying at least it wasn't Uwe Boll, right? And as we've said, Uwe Boll, not someone you want directing Didn't your Uwe, I'd, I'd heard it might not have been World of Warcraft. It might have been Tron. But I think Uwe Boll made this huge hugely powerful bid to try to get one of these big sequels that everyone's interested in and the studio basically laughed him off the phone and said there's no way in god's name we're giving you control of this thing wow but, i didn't know if it was tron but thank god for that are they coming out with a new tron yeah russ posted some of that on the blog uh, on the blog too what did when, you think of that, that Russ? When you saw it? um i'm not sure i know that this is like the biggest budget movie disney will have ever made in the history of the world because they're not really known for that sort of thing um, but yeah, Comic Con had this huge event uh, based around the the Tron preview for the next movie, including a recreation of an arcade of the main character played by Jeff Bridges called Flynn's Arcade, which was awesome because it was free. So we just went in there with a bunch of free retro machines, and we were playing Pac Man and Off Road and Centipede and Galaga. That is and awesome. Even, oh, Galaga! I am all even, about Galaga. 
the invented game from Tron that didn't actually exist called Space Paranoid. There were actually like five or six Space Paranoid consoles that you could go up and play. And it was like the game was super hard. Um, and then when you'd get to certain levels on it, it would process this GIF screen and give you a little code number, which presumably is like the next step of the alternate reality game yep. that the thing is based on. Yep. Um, but yeah, as in the video that I posted, like the back door of the arcade just opens up. Like there's a secret wall behind one of the Tron machines, and then oh, okay. it's a passageway that looks like his workshop where he designed the light bike from Tron, which is really freaking cool. Mm. You know, the, do they have the Tron video game? Not the one that was in the movie Tron, but the actual Tron video game that existed. No, in old? unfortunately not. They wanted to make it realistic, so they wouldn't have made. Uh, they wouldn't have had a game there based on the movie. Yeah, it's only- too meta contemporary like 1980 i do think game. that's one of those movies that still is kind of cool to see like the special oh effects. yeah they actually have held up fairly well i think yeah. um you know i mean if you assume a certain basic kind of computer thing i still remember him getting zapped at the computer was this impressive thing it was a little you know looking back at it now it was a little sort of pseudo philosophical you know like i used to think it was this big deep thing when i was like you know eight and now that i got older i'm kind of like well it's a little you know but there was still some cool stuff part of the problem with tron was that i always found that because everything was all in just like you know blue and red um and then sort of shades of gray because of the way they set it up it was a little difficult to figure out who was who like i mean i know you could see jeff bridge's face and whatever but you know what i mean like it always like the guy i remember the most was the the old dude who had that big thing that he sat in that rotated around the guy who owned you know was the guardian of the tower or whatever the hell his name was um that guy i remember but everybody else was sort of just like faceless warriors like tron the warrior i always got confused with jeff bridge's character whoever it's true that was. they looked i mean that was sort of a, a casting mistake cause they looked relatively similar when they had their helmets on and so you're just like, why is Jeff Bridges saving himself again? And you're like, oh, that's that's a different guy, right? So, what was was Tron was a um, was a computer game? Well, the the movie, no, the movie was created as a screenplay, and since okay. it was about computer games, you know, a lot of games developed. Okay, from okay, Tron. okay, okay. So he's a computer programmer, then he gets sucked yeah. in, and he gets sucked and into the computer. And, and the bad guy's the bad guy in both, right, Russ? Like, he's the bad guy in the computer because he's the master program, whatever, the MCP, I think it's called. And uh, and he, he looks exactly like the bad guy in real life, like the owner of the corporation. Well, yeah, I mean, because it, it kind of made it seem like it's one of those in-his-mind things. Do you know what I mean? Like he's like um, like a Matrix type thing. Well, I was actually thinking more like kind of like Wizard of Oz, where the pe- people and the characters. So like, so was did it really happen or did it not happen? Because the people there are the same people that are are back at home. Yeah, no, it actually happens. He actually goes into the computer world and uh, pulls around, and then do you know who I noticed is in this movie that I never realized before because I'm not a student of like. 1979 through 1983 films okay. is the girl from Caddyshack. The oh, jeez. Yeah, I wouldn't even she's have known that. Love interest in Tron. I never knew she was in anything else. I mean, I have an IMDb beat her, but um, her name was Lacey Underall. Oh, <laughs> of course it was. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what I didn't realize, too, is that um, this, is that the same and the same bad guy is back in the new movie? 
Is that he's also in this, isn't he? Oh, I don't know. I it looks seen. like the same guy, the face that you see at the very end of that trailer, which looks like a wild trailer. I mean, it, the good thing about it was it was one of those movies. Again, it's like it just doesn't it doesn't date. I think that this is the same thing with Dark Crystal. I think if you looked yeah. at Dark Crystal, you wouldn't feel like Dark Crystal dated either, because since it's all based on like yeah. puppeteering and not like we think it's wild computer graphics for like '84, you know. Right. Um, it doesn't come across as being absurd. Yeah, another another thing like that is is not the sort of call like in war games, not the calling in that like the using the phone and all that stuff. That's a little bit dated, but the system itself. And everything else about it, I think, fast, doesn't it? I mean, even part. like the way the computer is designed, you expect it to be some kind of faceless light, you know, flashing. I think thing the only that, thing is just the size of the computer. We might maybe question right, that. Right, right. Maybe it'd be smaller now. Right. Never ending story. I think is somewhat like that too. Yeah, I guess Except that's for the, true. Um, the the sphinxes oh right 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 well yeah like basically anything and see the lesson here is that if you use puppets you are less likely to be dated than if you use what you think is high you know high intensity we hope you're taking note of this i want to i want to put that out in the air what you just said craig when you use puppets you're less likely to be dated what? That's what you just said. That, that's also uh, true that's in many fair. other contexts. <laughs> right. So that's why I just wanted to put that out there. Make Very sure. nice. Right. Very nice. That's that's good. Call. But I mean, it's sort of true because puppets don't evolve. There's no technologically advanced puppet world. It's all just puppets. And so it's like saying if you make your set out of wood, it will always look the same as when you make it out of wood. And then... Yeah, because in some respects the technology can get better in the way that the computers, I mean, the, the cameras pick it up and the editing and stuff that they can do with it, but like um, the labyrinth, you know, there's definitely aspects of the labyrinth where the um, where those three guys uh, dancing in the woods, you know, the and they're like the way the editing is looks really obvious of like their their bodies breaking apart and floating up and down and obviously it could be, be done better now well you know the the classic example of that is clash of the titans i mean god help us oh, yeah. or, or sinbad like the most animatronic like you know? I still love that movie, though. <laughs> or the old King Kong, the first King Kong. You know, like that's true. Wasn't that like stop motion animation? Yes, that's what it is. Stop yes, motion. it was. Yes, it was. That's true. But it it was at the time, they were like, "This is the most tremendous look." Like, no, no, not really. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's, yeah, that's, that's true. The I, guess, I guess also, Job of the Hut was definitely a, a more highly advanced technology wise puppet than you know older. Right, that's true, and 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 by the way, and get, adding extra technology to him didn't help. Witness, yeah, we don't, we don't adding the do CG, okay, you know, don't version of Jabba the Hutt. I, hey, I'm just telling you, is despicable. It's, you know, that and Greedo <laughs> shooting first, the, the Greedo shooting first thing. All of the Star Wars people know what I'm talking about. Y'all feel me? You hear what I'm saying? I think you're gonna punch Lucas in the face if you ever meet him. I think I would just laugh at him as a, the pitiable man who's tried to destroy his own franchise. I think that's more what I would do. You know, I think it'd be more effective to punch him. I don't think that. Why direct all this anger at Lucas? He clearly never had the ability to make this stuff by himself. He was just blessed to be surrounded by talented people who did things that he later took credit for. And then when he was left to do things on his own, he showed that he had no, you know, actual skill <laughs> to lend to the the project. So that's fine. Just, I mean, he had like a pretty decent concept and. You know, which was partially designed by Joseph Campbell and partially designed by Kurtz and the other co-conspirators that he had working on it, and then right, and they all left, and it got crappier and crappier and crappier and crappier until Just we like were left that. with um, 
you know, we were... 314 or whatever the hell that movie of his is. What are the, what other things did those guys do? What's that? What other things did those guys do when they left Lucas? Um, well, Harrison Ford had a nice little career. No, no, no. The direct, he means she means the directors like and stuff like, yeah. Just kidding. I don't, I, I don't really have the expertise to know, like, what else... Because I don't remember who the co-screenwriter was for Star Wars and Empire who wasn't around for the debacle that was Return of the Jedi. Um, you need to shut your mouth. Return of the Jedi was not that bad. I, re- I thought Return of the Jedi was one of the better ones, actually. There, at one point, I thought it was better than Empire. I've since grown up, but I still think Return of the Jedi is pretty good. Okay, do you know what's terrible about Return of the Jedi? You better not say the Ewoks or Cleo will punch you in the face when she's you. Well, I'm not going to say that the Ewoks themselves were terrible, but did you know that the word Ewok is never mentioned at any point in time in the entire movie, Return of the Jedi. And the only reason that we know that these creatures are called Ewoks is because they were part of a massive marketing campaign to sell toys. And that's the only reason that... Well, the yeah, movie... but he's been doing that yeah. for years. I they... mean, you know. No, I find this interesting. So they never refer to the animals? Nope. At no point is the thing, is C-3PO translating to be like, these are the Ewoks. They live here. Like, that never happens. Wow. You never know what they're called. And they're only Ewoks because then when you go to KB Toy Store after the movie, then you can buy their exactly. whole village. But why, why would we have known this? Any, I don't understand, though. Why would we have known a lot? That's true with a lot of these things. Like, why would we have known that anyway? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the point, who cares? But but I still find that interesting. I mean, well, we I mean, I think I think part of the the brainstorming behind the movie was they were going to go to Chewbacca's planet, but they decided that they would make more money if they sold little uh, Chewbacca's. Yeah, if they, if they, you know, if they were saved by the planet of teddy bears, then they would make a great deal more money than if they. You know, just had a regular ending. See. <laughs> but see, okay. I always thought that, that, see, I don't agree with that. I mean, well, that, that may be why they did it. But I think that philosophically, I always felt that one of the great things about the Ewoks was this is the exact problem that the Empire had, right? Which is right. that the Empire could est, could plan for everything that was powerful and dangerous and significant. And they underestimated you know, besides underestimating Darth Vader's ability to turn back to the good side, they also underestimated two things. They underestimated, uh, you know, small creatures that they thought of as insignificant. So they didn't pay any attention to the Ewoks, just like they didn't pay any attention to the small little port on the Death Star, right? You know, I mean, those those are the things that they thought were not really relevant, and those are the things that ended up bringing them low, which I think is an important message, and it's a common one in sort of good evil theories. Same thing happens in Narnia, where um, you know, the mice are the ones that nibble the ropes that are binding Aslan to the stone table, and the argument there is the same thing. Like, nobody cares about the mice, but the mice actually play in a strictly important role. So that's a kind of standard trope for sort of good evil stuff. But I always thought that made a sort of, that made sense philosophically. Even look at Yoda, you know, judge me by my size, do you, right? Like, that that's all part of the sort of message that it's not about what you look like, but, you know, what your, the true merit that you possess is. So I thought that was philosophically consistent. Yeah, the Ewoks just didn't bother me. I, I never was bothered by the Ewoks at all i, I, I just, wasn't bothered by them either just in retrospect i think it's it's a little bit silly that they they sort of watered down the movie um i recently did a, a marathon session of watching one through six in chronological order and something that occurred to me was that the evolution of the republic into the empire going into a new hope really shows that the empire sort of on the ropes like i mean i mean you you're given the impression that the empire's grown into this all-powerful thing and they've created this death star and they're the ultimate power in the universe and everything but really i mean 
obviously this is this is a government that's completely lost control yeah i, mean, I get that citizenry. sense I get like that completely sense. because mm-hmm. the only way that they can keep power is to a disband the legislature because the legislature opposes everything that they do so they disband the senate at the very beginning yeah. of a new and yeah. say you know the regional governors will have direct control over their territory yeah. and and then they're like fear will keep the local systems in line you yeah. have this battle station. So the whole point is that they have to have this giant death machine mm-hmm. that rolls around from solar system to solar system, and anyone that opposes a policy of theirs gets annihilated. And that right. seems to me like the last death throes of a dying, you know, civilization. And yeah, I mean, I think the only thing is that we we before they made these first three movies, um, we got this sense that they had been stronger. But then they went to do this extra leap of power to totally dominate, and then that's when they fell off the pedestal. But then when you see these these first three movies, then it does look like that way. It does look like from the beginning they created try, – trying to create through turmoil and fear – this strong empire, but it, it never really gets solid footing. But that also could be partially because of the Jedi's. Yeah, in fairness, I don't really know that I, I totally buy into that theory because not into into the theory you're, you're suggesting, Russ. Because in fairness, like I mean, you know, when the Empire strikes back, it's not like striking back in a last desperate attempt to defeat them. Like you would think, if the Empire was on that shaky ground, like the destruction of the Death Star would have ended it for them because everyone would have joined the winning side. All the neutral systems, of which there clearly must be, you know, hundreds, right, no, would no, go no. along with the side of the rebellion. Instead, what happens is this pretty much ragtag bunch of people blows up the Death Star. The Empire is like, God damn it, that cost us, you know, six quadrillion credits or whatever the hell it is, and now, you know, and we hate. You and then they send everyone out and the and basically in the second movie, I mean the rebellion is pretty much close to ending it. Like if, you know, it was very real possibility that Han, Chewbacca, Leia, and Luke could have all bought it in the second movie, and then it's all over. But the shouting, right? Because they're the only reason that the emperor is brought down at all is because he's defeated by Luke, who is able to turn his father, and that would never happen if you know in the second movie they had all died. And I mean, let's let's be honest, right? Luke is like one slip off of a really weak ass aileron at the bottom bottom of Cloud City from being out of that movie too. So I'd say that things are pretty weak for the Republic since or from the rebellion because everything is based on those characters making it. You know? No, I agree. With that but but also isn't there Plus they built another death star so i mean well, they had somebody but again, left but, over. yeah but what i'm wondering is i still thought there was a whole other phase of when they were killing off going around and killing off the jedis that we don't that we haven't that, that right. it really isn't any of the movies but that happened in the third movie it, it, well, that was the post sixty six thing where they're like they I mean they did it very very briefly which is unfortunate because my entire excitement about the entire all three prequels is getting to watch uh, Anakin Skywalker and like like ritualistically hunt down and kill each of the Jedi one by one right. but instead they just do this super fast montage where he's like slaughtering younglings and oh, stormtroopers right, right, right. are like yeah, assassinating yeah. Jedi in the middle of battles and stuff and it sucks. Um, but to, to go back to the argument, my argument is not that the Empire is like this flimsy thing that dumps all their money into like an SDI. Like the, not that the Empire is the Reagan administration. And the, <laughs> Although it could be. A Reagan SDI administration with a British accent. 
it's more that it's a philosophical failure because nobody cares about what they say anymore. Right. And so instead they have to dump all of their money into military and technological spending, which is the only way they can assume power. Okay. And so part of the flaw there is that what they didn't do is they didn't do what the Jedi did and set up like a Sith temple where right. they can train disciples and Sith and have like, you know, evil knights running all over the place enforcing their policy and enforcing their, their code and their philosophy. Instead, they're just like, no, we don't need that religion anymore. We're just going to make it all about technological advance, specifically yep. military technology. And that's yep. You know, yep. like just like the end of. Uh, well, there's deep suspicion, in fact, of anything that's even connected to the Jedi. In fact, I would even go one step further to say you're right that they sort of even Vader himself is a kind of fetishization of technology, right? I mean, he's more machine than man and all that kind of thing. Well, I almost and, wonder if they think that if they did teach them the Force that in they would reach the point where they would learn that you shouldn't be on the dark side. Like, I do feel that they 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 have to choose more carefully who they actually are going to teach. Well, right. And then, because, that, and then because of that, it limits them because you don't have all of those knights that you can send out the whole army of Jedis. Because initially, remember, the Sith were not initially a separate group that sprung up. I mean, they were Jedi that wanted to pursue power that the Jedi didn't want them to have. And one thing you learn if you play through some of the games, like Knights of the Old Republic, which I've played, which is a tremendous game, and other things like that, is you realize that the Jedi Council can be a real pain in the ass. I mean, the Jedi Council pretty much is always like, don't disagree with us, don't argue with it. Why? Shut up. We're the Jedi Council. And, and after a while, there are people that sort of get frustrated with constantly having to say, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. And so there's a real anti-authoritarian streak. You even see it with Qui-Gon. And so that's why you're forever turning, quote-unquote, these people to the dark side. One thing I was thinking of, though, Russ, is one issue with this is, I mean, I guess there are mass battles between good and bad Jedi. I guess there could be. But my sense is the reason that the Sith don't make good armies is because they're so obsessed with power that they can't handle anyone being around them. Right, right? Like share. Good Jedi are, if they are the right kind of good Jedi, are disciplined. So they can work together, whereas people like, you know, the Sith, like, they have a master and an apprentice, but that's pretty much it. And, you well, know, the rest of I the mean, Sith are that, always, like, fighting with each other. Remember that Star Wars game trailer that we were talking about from uh, a month ago that yeah, I posted yeah. on the blog that had the battle where you have, you know, a few dozen dark Jedi coming right, out of true. a spaceship and that's slaughter? True. I mean, at some point it existed. The question is, like, why did it evolve? And, and and both sides seem to have the Master and Apprentice formula, but the Jedi just had a bunch of sets of Master and Apprentices, and the Sith usually had a couple lying around. But that's what um, I mean. Like, the Sith I can't think, really work as a mass unit too well. Like, I mean, okay, so they've got a few dozen, but at one point, there aren't there, like, hundreds of Jedi? I mean, like, there's tons yeah. of Jedi at one point, right? Yeah, and I can't imagine I think, being hundreds of Sith. I think part of the reason is because the, the, the tradition of the Sith um, is sort of born out of this idea that if like a Highlander type thing that like there, you can never it's not really efficient to try to learn to have all this power by yourself when you can just like torture and kill the most powerful dude that exists and right. get it from him. Right. And so I think that and also is sort of a test of their power since each Sith wants has this such as lust for power that he wants to be the top guy. Right. And the only way for him to prove himself is to slaughter the, the master. And so that's sort of the, the way they do it. But I don't think that that's. I mean, that, that seems to be the, the tradition leading up into the movie number four and five, and that's why that, that became a disadvantage for the Empire. But I don't think that's necessarily part of the Sith way. I think some Sith can get along as long as they're all gaining power, you know. At a steady enough rate. Either way, the fact that everybody, you know, even in the evil side, not only fears but is actually like 
you know, sometimes actively opposed to having Sith around? Like, when's the last time that people are like, oh, good, the Sith? Like, in every single movie, everyone's like, the Sith are coming here? Oh, my God, it's the Sith, you know? Or the dude in the Death Star is like, you know, that, your old religion, Darth Vader. I mean, like, they either don't believe in it or they distrust it or, I mean, like, there's no one, you know, the the good side is always like, thank God we've got a Jedi. The bad side is always like, oh, God, the Je- you know, the Sith, what are we going to do with these guys? And I think you're right, Russ, that that ends up being a huge disadvantage because the, the guy at the top, ironically, of course, is a Sith, but everybody underneath him, they're all much more comfortable with, like, you know, blow the crap out of stuff instead of let's go train a bunch of Sith people to go out and protect us from Jedi, you know, maybe because they think there are no more Jedi. I mean, that's part of the problem. They're like, oh, we killed them yeah, all, you know. It's true. I mean, I guess also the argument would be that Sith Knights aren't exactly protectors. I mean, if, as soon as you develop a Sith Knight, he's just going to go wander off by himself right. into the wilderness searching for the key to immortality or more right. power or something like that. Right. That's um, the problem. You know, you make these society. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. So, um, yeah, but that's interesting. I never thought of it that way. I guess you're right in that sense. The empire is weaker. I don't want to make a ridiculous segue, but what you just said, remind the wandering away thing just reminded me of something I wanted to talk about, but I don't want to do violence to the star Wars conversation we're having. So if people want to, you know, you guys want to keep talking about it or do you want me to make this segue? Cause I, I was just sort of stunned by this bit of news, but Bring I'll, on the Greg way. All right. So the reason I'm thinking about this is I started thinking about it when you were talking about sending people away. So New York City, I, we, I just discovered, has a policy, as a program that's been in place apparently for a while. And the policy is that they, um, as many people will know, uh, New York City has a homeless problem. There are a lot of homeless people, and, um, and it's become an increasing problem, even though the population has been more or less stable for a while. But it's obviously... Yeah. So the, the program is that um, the city buys homeless people and sometimes homeless families one-way plane tickets and flies them to basically anywhere in the world where they can determine that there is family or friends or something like that waiting at the other end. I don't think it's world. I thought it was United States. No. they. The, I saw a thing about this on the news. It's actually like Paris, like France. They've sent people to France. They've sent people to Australia. They, you know, and they ta- They were sort of breaking down at a cost of $6,000 or $10, you know, $3,000. Um, and their theory is that by doing this, they're, you know, sort of making it possible for these people to get back in contact with family members elsewhere. No, what no, critics no, no. Say, no it's, that's not the reason why. Well, that's what they say. But no, critics, that's not even the reason why they give, Greg. The idea is that supposedly people, you, they're stuck in New York. They're, like, yes. they can't, they're not able to make it. That's right. So, so it, go but, away. <laughs> so, but, but they're unable to get yeah. out in, to a place where they need, to, they need to be. So, like, okay, fine, we'll give you the helping boot, and but here like, you go. Uh, but, I mean, you know, so critics of this have obviously been, like, you know, Rush Limbaugh's like, I wonder if they get cupcakes on their trip and all this other kind of stuff. And some homeless mm, advocates worry cupcakes. that this is sort of... <laughs> I know, that's Rush Limbaugh's mind. Uh, I wonder, if, can I get cupcakes in New York City? <laughs> no, can I? How about I mock some minorities I mean, who, instead? Who gets cupcakes on airplanes? Is that know. what he gets I, on his airplanes? I guess that's what he thinks is what's most important. Or no, that that's the sort of decadent side, you know, the the damn liberals shipping people out of But you know, the thing is what Bloomberg says is that this program saves money because it costs so much more to keep homeless in homeless shelters. Right. And they say that there has yet to be a situation where any of the homeless people that have been sent out come back. Because it's not just like, hey, I'm homeless. Oh good, here have a one way plane ticket. <laughs> like they have to, you know, apply for the program. They have to there has to be like there's follow up afterwards, like they make phone calls and they double check with agencies on that side yeah. to make sure they're not you so know this what is they like did a like big I think it was in the early 1900s yeah um they took all of the orphans yeah and they put them on a train 
Oh, yeah? West. Oh, sure. And they stopped off. I forgot what it was called. And they stopped off at towns along the way, pulled out the kids, and people would adopt them. So it was basically like um, the slave slave sales, but it was, you know, with a train. And 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 this was done by, like... These are humanitarians. They thought they were doing these children favors because they, there were so many orphans, and they were, you know, they weren't being well cared for, and so they were sending them. They were taking them out to where families could take care of them, hey, and they Jill. didn't think about the fact that you'd be taking these kids away from the only thing that they do know, which was their home, and that there'd be pedophiles and weirdos and crackpots out there in the west hey giuliani's method was just to take the homeless and throw them in jail you well, know, that's because the they refused rights, to you know? get services so at that point you know the heck with you and your civil rights have some jail um i mean like the thing is well that, you're that, they're illegally on property so yes, yeah they yes. go to jail when you do something illegal yes illegally on property yes well uh, but they're illegally on public property and, exactly. and basically what giuliani did was start enforcing laws that right, enforcing I mean, he couldn't, laws. couldn't get laws no but he could the thing is he couldn't get laws passed saying you're not allowed to be homeless in the city because that right. would never apply. So he started sense. enforcing laws that did, like loitering laws and right. things that are usually not enforced by cities to that extent. Right. And, and because there extent. is a manifest unfairness to it. It's not they're really violating anything. It's just that he decided to selectively enforce these things against the homeless to get them out of it. Exactly. Yeah, it was like when he made the whole thing that you can't have dancing where they're serving uh, – alcohol so he can get rid of all these strip clubs but that meant you can't go to like a bar and dance yeah i mean like the whole thing is just and and i think you know what the homeless advocates are worried about too is that this is i mean first of all this is sort of kicking the can down the road like you know go go ahead la you have this problem um but the other problem that's concern they have is that now the city swears up and down that these people are not coerced to do it but there are a lot of advocates who doubt very much that they haven't been strongly suggested. You really should go into this program. You know what I mean? You should really, 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 really <laughs> go. At which point it becomes exactly what Clea is talking about. It's like the orphans in the 1900s who I'm sure weren't given a choice. Like, would you like to come in the train? No, sir. Shut up. Get in the train. You well, know, kids like I mean, had no rights back then. Yeah. That, and that all of a sudden you've got Oliver. You got a mobile Oliver Twist. You know. <laughs> I, so that that I think is what's going on here. Uh, the question really becomes: Are they being coerced or not so i don't know what we think about this program but i don't know uh, I, what i think I, about have it. Two, I have two responses the first one is that the reason that nobody has heard any reports of these homeless people who have been shipped away coming back into the city is because that they are told they're going home and then they're put in a container where they're secretly ground into food someone's been reading the reading the uh, reading up in the jungle oh again God. yeah well, they had to, you know, replace the uh, grease and lard that was gotten rid of through the the, uh, the whatchamacallit band in New York City. You know, you know the band, the saturated fat. Uh, yes. So now it's the trans homeless is what homeless. you're saying is replace trans fats. Is oh, that the goodness. idea? My second response is that it <laughs> your first real response is Chris, why couldn't you just say that they put them on icebergs or something? Why did you have to say what you said? They're much less likely to complain if you grind them up into food oh, gosh. and make for bad publicity. <laughs> the, oh, dear God. The second response is that if this, this policy actually exists and is legit and becomes adopted by every major city around the world, then all homeless people will effectively have unlimited uh, airline miles that yeah, they can use and good. go where they want, fly and, around wherever. And this is a good thought. Because they can do this, 
these unlimited airline miles, if they build them up enough, will eventually allow them to buy homes. Brilliant. Yeah, they yeah. can instead of going, they could just sell vouchers for their homeless flights to other people and now you've <laughs> built a cottage industry around the homeless, which is that they have special access to this privilege. Can and you they imagine be, Continental become travel agents? The Continental like executive board meeting, they're like, How is our profit dropped by seven hundred percent in one quarter? What's going on? Oh, oh their profit goes up because no, their now profit you would have go up. They're buying government flights. subsidized travel agency job training. Oh, that's training true, that's true, that's true. That's true. What they I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> You're right. So the government will go bankrupt, but you know, at least the homeless will have homes. Well, and, the, and the government no, never goes bankrupt. That's it's true. The government can't go bankrupt. Subsidize the airlines anyway. We may as well subsidize them through homeless people. So first, homeless people get help, <laughs> and then as it trickles down, the airlines get helped afterward. And Perfect. the positive side right. effect is that they don't get ground up into food under Russ's first apocalyptic exactly. scenario. I think, that's the like, first, I think that's the first time I've ever thought of an idea of money trickling down from homeless people. It's trickle-off a- economics. It's you give the money to homeless people who have to get jobs and spend it on large commercial businesses, and then those large entities get money from homeless people. It's perfect. Trickle-up economics. <laughs> Tremendous. It's brilliant. And it's, and it's trickle-up via jet plane. That's what it is. Trickles you know. up all the way into the sky. I wonder yeah, how much can... evidence you have to provide to take advantage of this program because I feel like, you know, getting a one way, a free one way ticket is sort of like getting a half price uh, round trip ticket. And so if you can convince somebody that you're homeless and you have family in the country that you want to visit, you can get yourself half price tickets. Now. Actually, Russ, you know what you should do? Right before you move back to New York, move out of your apartment, make sure that you're on the street for like a day, and then you can just go to LA and be like, I need to, except that, well, it's coming to New York, so that wouldn't work. But I was going to say otherwise, you'd be like, I have family in New York, just send me back over there for free. Yeah, I guess he'll have to wait until LA adopts the uh, yeah. policy. And be like, sir, where did you used to live? Beverly be Hills, like- man. It would be like, where's your family? Uh, they're on the Upper East Side. Okay, well, I'll give you a ride to the Upper East Side. No, I want a flight. Uh, okay. <laughs> to the Upper East Side. Fly to Chicago and then back to the Upper East Side. Yeah, okay. just, why do you need to fly? Well, because technically I'm in L.A. right now. Yeah. But you said you need to fly me to family or else I'll be a homeless person, I promise. I'm I promise. I'll be a homeless person in New York unless you fly me to the Upper East Side. <laughs> Unless you want me to be a homeless person on the Lower West Side, you better fly me to the Upper East Side. Well, they'll take all his money if they don't pay for it. That's right. Exactly. That's hilarious. Did did you hear, by the way, I I heard this rumor, and, you know, I don't know if we should really, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't talk about this. I don't know if Story feels comfortable doing that. But did did you hear, Russ, that Story said that, like, his moving truck has been, like, destroyed and, like, they've lost all their stuff or something happened to their moving truck? Since that? that, I mean, he was here a couple weeks ago in the fir- in the last California stop before they headed to the national parks and on their trip. Um, so I haven't spoken to him. I just read that note on his blog, which you know probably where you got it from. Um, but yeah, apparently their moving truck, which was trailing behind their car, or I'm sorry, separately, it was being towed separately across country. They packed up their car as well. Um, it crashed and got turned over, and that's all we've heard since which and is st- you know thinks he of his stuff who was driving it some moving company dude 
which means they can get all the insurance. He said he said something to the effect of that, you know, this will be a lot. It means I'll have less stuff. But I was like, I never thought of Story having much stuff anyway. So I know. Like, what? <laughs> now it'll be like no ramen at all. Like, like what is less yeah, stuff? No for cheese. Story? No, no cheese. More cheese. <laughs> no cheese. That'd Our whole the, cheese the supply. Whole had, like was full of cheese preserves. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't like, trust East Coast cheese. And and a couple of a couple of like gone and see he would have taken the import he would have taken books of Gandhi and stuff with him so the only stuff yep. in the truck has got to be like you know it can't all stuff. be destroyed though what did it go up in flames or something Actually, they don't know they don't know I see what I'm what I am picturing too is if they now they did they take the Kia or did the Kia like get towed along no, with the truck the Kia's done they have a Prius now they have a brand new Prius okay because I was going to say if they were they would make perfect sense that the Kia which you know really didn't survive when they were out west either of course the Kia would have used its karma you know the karma would have flowed onto the moving truck and there's no way that was going to survive I mean like the Kia you know <laughs> but if that's gone already then I guess but well, yeah I don't, I don't know. the interesting thing for me is to try to visualize what sort of possessions that story actually manages. I mean, Emily helps us because Emily has like a closer to normal people type of <laughs> collection of things. But if in just the concept of story, like what would he put on a moving truck that wasn't important enough to put in his car, but right. that he didn't want to sell or give away and still sort of care that it went 3000 miles. I like, I can't imagine the tears of, of these types of things, right. like any important memento that wasn't like, a giant, you know, cigar store Indian that was too big for a car. <laughs> like, what would he? What would be in that truck? I have no idea. It's probably all of Emily's stuff. Large, like his Arrowhead collection, or like his <laughs> giant inflatable Godzilla collectible. Like, he doesn't well, obviously he, doesn't he would things. have. Like, well, what but, would be in the a big inflatable truck? piece? Well, but Emily might have made him put stuff in there. You know, the the wife usually nags the more mm-hmm. nags for the most logical thing, not thinking that you know there'd be an accident. So she so might like, have nagged him, saying, oh, "We don't want to have to deal with that going cross country. We're only taking what we need." And it's so story, you don't need to bring all the debate trophies with us. Just right. let the moving truck handle it. And there's your answer, Russ. It was his debate trophies. Oh, it's a truck full of debate. Tra- oh my god! Between the two of them, between the two of them, there would be a five hundred pounds of gavels. That, oh my god! That's what it was right there. That's right. That's right. And it was trophies and gavels. And I mean, honestly, like they had the type of furniture that you could replace on the internet in two seconds if you want. <laughs> and you, I'm not. I mean, well, I have the same thing here. I'm not disparaging that. Well, I'm just saying. I would never bother to move this stuff 3,000 miles because you could just buy it for a few hundred bucks, you know, wherever you land. Wait well, a minute, wait a minute. You would give up your, your wall-sized TV. Is that true? You I got the wall-sized TV used off of Craigslist, and I could easily get, you know, the money I paid for it back and selling it. So why not? Oh, I see. I see. Please get cheaper. I mean. Well, you know, I have to I have to agree with Russ. I mean, but I mean, you've been to their actual place, but because, I mean, paying for that cross-country, that is kind of expensive. I, I, I really cannot – I mean I read the blog post and I know that he says that some of his like secondary computer backups were in – but I mean how, how big does that – you could put all of that stuff on a flash drive and put it in your pocket. I mean maybe Story doesn't like technology so he has it on a bunch of like – On stone film, tablets. Film reel. <laughs> he has like a room full of giant 50s computers that hold oh, like computer backups and stuff. But like he has his like – primary backups with him in his car and a, and a computer in his car is also what in the hell is in that truck 
They I have clothing. Know. They took the clothing with them, unless there's like no. They probably didn't take all their clothing. Oh, with wait, them. wait. He says he says stuffed animals. My collection of small carved sculpted turtles, a few papers, <laughs> <laughs> and oh, the photographs. While the turtles are probably toasted oatmeal, one would think most of the sentimental items would survive such a crash well intact. But then the pivotal so, question, one we can't likely ask till Monday, is whether the truck opened or not. Now listen, he said, the vision that develops in the mind's eye is one of whipping winds carrying burst open boxes of heart-rending items across the heartless L.A. freeway. Careless convertibles dodging and weaving amongst the testimony of decades' worth of beloved accumulation. Dear God. Now see, if this were just a matter for a moment, I had this image of the, the truck flies open, you know, the doors fly open, and out comes photographs and a bunch of turtles like flying at people yes. out of the back of the truck. Yes. I, I mean, it, but this sounds like a big deal. Like he did lose stuff apparently. Well, obviously, I mean, we were making light of it, but this is obviously a very, very concerning thing. I just still can't imagine how many photographs can you amass that you can't fit them in your car that you need a truck for photographs. He says his I wedding album was on there. Really? Well, but see, that's the thing is, is the wife is going to say, story we are driving cross country we have i don't want to have a bunch of crap in the car i want to be able to have space so we can be comfortable in the car so we can have things just that we need to to go cross country everything else that we do not need for the next couple of days while we're driving it's going to go in the van so but I, that's that's another question because i'm picturing one of these like giant that's tr- see, that's my thing. Is I think we might be. Footer. It m- might not be one of those big things. But then, but why would you hire someone? Why wouldn't you just attach it to your car and bring it? Why would? Yeah, like just a little trailer. I mean, I don't think they have that much stuff. Well, they could have just had a trailer attached. Why to the would Prius. you pay a guy to drive your wooden turtles? Cross country. He says we wouldn't have packed up just shy of two tons of stuff and sent it across America's dangerous highways in the first place. Two tons? What is this two tons? I, I, I mean, paper is pretty dense, but that's what computers are for. Backups. What? You could... Uh, how many turtles? I don't understand. <laughs> and fo- and he's, what kind of wood? That's what I want to know. And photographs and things like that. But the thing is, though, like, I mean, he's not... I mean, like, this sounds like this really, like, like you know, threw him for a loop. And again, for people who are, like, well, new listeners to the... To well, no, no, let me explain. For people who are new listeners to the show, you might be like, well, Greg, you heartless bastard. Of course people would... But the thing is that Story is not the typical person. Story even says in this very post that he wants to transcend materialism. So that's why we're having a hard time conceptualizing what would be so much stuff that he would be, you know, afraid to lose. Like, that's that's the point. Well, I think it's just possessions in general. I mean, what would you do, Greg, if all of your possessions were lost? I would have a hard time, but I don't claim to be anti-materialist in the way that Story does. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, like, pro-materialist, but I'm kind of like, you know... Well, he can't be completely anti-materialist if he has a freaking wooden turtle collection. Yeah, but that's, you know... I'm I mean, he that's says, you know materials. Well, yes, I know. Look, he target he posts the titles this post spirits in the material world. So you know, okay. and for some reason, I have this horrible image of Madonna's material world song. Yeah, but anyway, I don't like that. At I all. you know, I mean, I like, want that image gone. But that's that's you know. It, it's it's like you know he says like there's a history told in words and pictures. That's I what think he he's says. just trying to be poetic. That, that I don't can all be put on a hard drive. One hard drive, and he says Emily's grandmother's music boxes in the candelabra. So you know, yeah, yeah. So that's what I thought it was like a candelabra. Okay, there you go. That's like something that is an heirloom that 
makes sense that you put in the thing. See, that's what I was wondering is like if there's anything from Emily's family that they're saying, take this furniture. He says, this is how Americans are taught to mark the passage of their time. It's not right, but that doesn't abridge the emotional twists and agonization. So Is that a word? Agonization? Yeah, I think so. You think so? Well, I mean, maybe because the the agonization of (laughs) my transporting the nation across the boundaries of this great country is... is, uh, Maybe he's thinking of like... Agony is a state of mind. Agonization is like an active, you know, you're going out of your way to agonize. You know what I mean? Like that kind of In Living Color. That's much that's a much better song to have in my head, thank you. Yeah. That's was. That was like the Damon Wayans uh salesman character. It was yeah. made up to sound more impressive. Um yeah, again, I'm sure this is terrible. I, I would feel awful if I no I wouldn't. I'm a terrible example of this. I I'm totally zen and care nothing for Yeah, you were utterly immaterial. I, I although I would argue that there are a couple of things. There are. That I'll would... tell you what I need. Here's what I need. I need my laptop and I need my little portable external hard drive that all of my stuff is on. And that's about it. Your camera. I mean, I would like well, yeah, and my little camcorder, sure. Um I would like you know, and a pair I, of underwear. Well, okay, and look, I'm not, I'm not and, a and the speakers you got for the van <laughs> and the Xbox you got for the Craigslist that you're so proud of. Well, but an and Xbox is like, you know, I could get it for Xbox. It's just not a no sentimental value in the Xbox. Yes, or in there the... is, because it was this awesome Xbox deal that you got from guys, like some I got random it for guys. Free. I helped a friend move, and See? he never opened his Xbox, and he gave it to me, and I reprogrammed it and made it cool. But Why can't I have a friend like that? Yeah, why don't we have friends like this? Why and don't I we have really cool like friends? I like paintings on my wall that people gave me as a gift that I would, you know, get rid of if I were moving. And why don't this... we have friends that give us paintings, Greg? <laughs> well, because, you know. You're not homeless people in New York. And <laughs> exactly. I... <laughs> that would be great. Like, if New York decided to sweeten the deal, they're like, we're going to send you off on the plane. Show them what they've won, Johnny. Well, as a nice parting gift. We're also going to give you your own, you know. What's that whole package thing? You know, like, um, you get a Price PS3 is right. and like. <laughs> Price is right. Yeah. Well, first you get this and new toaster. Coffee but of not the just month. That. Right. <laughs> but not just month. that. This new car, which you will drive to. Da, 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 da. Yeah. yeah. This is right home game. I think I think what we're talking about with story is an example of the fact that you know is sort of exemplified by the fact that story once was on Price is Right, which was the funniest thing to any of his friends who knew him because it was like, here is the show that sort of glorifies American capitalism like no other. But somehow he had been convinced to be on there with the whole price tag on his shirt saying story in the whole business, you know, like <laughs> like the whole thing. And and you know that was that was kind of part of it. And I mean, you know, if you saw if you saw story on Jeopardy, you wouldn't be surprised. Could be like story very smart guy knowledge jeopardy sure but you know not much glitz just all about you know the knowledge but you know for some plus it's competitive and as those who know story knows that story is definitely competitive but as far as like you know something like the price is right come on now so for something like this to happen just seems you know i don't know he seems to be both torn he's torn i mean it's both fit it's terrible because it's terrible like we would all think a disaster that happened to a moving van that had our stuff in it that would be terrible for us but it's particularly terrible but for story it's like terrible and isn't because you know he is sort of an anti-materialist and yet he has this stuff that he thinks is important in some degree so i don't know it's interesting but i'm sorry I, to hear again about it. 
I empathize. It sounds it sounds horrible. I mean, to me, the bigger headache would be the paperwork that goes along with something yeah. like this, like having to be on the phone with the insurance company eight times a day and having yeah. to fill out an itemized list of everything you can think of that was in the truck that they could salvage and yeah. having to like I, insurance companies are just purposefully a nightmare to deal with. They don't want they don't want you to deal with them, so they make it as painful as possible to yeah. ever do it. Um, so that's by far the worst part of this in my mind. But yeah, I, I just. I can't imagine having, or maybe when I'm older, I still, uh, maybe not. I'm pretty old already and have not accumulated things that I care to keep. So I'm pretty old already. How, how old exactly are you? I'm gonna be thirty. I'm old, man. Yeah, thirty. Oh ancient. my God, you're only gonna be you're you're going to be thirty. In a month from now, I'm gonna be thirty. That's you're not like That's going to I'm be thirty-three or something. My mom wanted to look at my face before I turned thirty. She's like, I don't see you anymore. I want to see. I want to see what you look like, and then you'll turn thirty. Like, because, okay. as you know, when you hit thirty, instantly you age. You know, like your skin, you know, wrinkles, and you become leathery and bent over, and you start voting Republican. This all happens the minute that you hit that age. But there are tears. There's like plateaus, and then you hit the age, and then you're like, exactly. You realize that next month I'm going to be thirty-seven. Wow! Isn't that amazing? Be forty. No, no, I'm going to be 37. I know. See, that's, 30 what, it, that's what it is about that that age. When God. you hear it, you just think you think 40. I think I once do. you get above 36, no, you think 40. You think 37. No, you think 40. <laughs> 37. When I hit 26, I'm like, damn, I'm on the wrong side of 20. I'm going to be 30, and then it still hasn't happened yet, but it's going to in a month. Then I'll be 30. But, I mean, again, for me, this is not a big deal because, as we all know, I'm going to live forever. So right, and 30 yeah, is a peak am, age anyway for athletics, well. too. You know, 30 is when you get your big contract. But wait a so. minute, Russ. So you don't have anything like a a watch from some family member or – Yeah, you're right, Leah. I have a watch that I would need to rent a truck for to move it across. <laughs> oh, <laughs> if it's oh, a oh, clock. oh, oh. No, no, no. I thought you were saying, like – Oh, I have the... a – few little things but okay, i mean my I car is totally sufficient to take anything that i wouldn't need to move i would just get rid of everything else um but yeah i have okay. a watch i have two watches even i have some books would probably be the heaviest thing and i would ship those i guess and um i mean clothing i've really pared down like i throw out lots of old clothing all the time and uh you throw <laughs> out or you donate i throw out by which i mean i give to Homeless people <laughs> on planes eating cupcakes, and here's Russ throwing it out. Here's Cleo. Oh my God! Here's Russ throwing it out to the homeless. To be fair, when I throw out clothing, it's because it has like nine holes in it and looks like a dish rag and is okay. That's fine. And when he says throwing out, he means just throwing it out of the windows of his apartment. They call it rain day in Beverly Hills. People just like the homeless run along below his apartments, and everyone just throws their old clothes out the fine, windows. There's, and there's clothes that there's clothes that I caviar and <laughs> that I I I get down on my hands and knees and pray to the gods that Greg will get rid of. But he won't. It's raining clothes, but he won't throw them away. He wants to donate them. And right. I try to explain to him that I mean, because I used to do sorting at volunteer at at, um, at these kind of clothing banks, and you get you you don't 
you don't keep everything. If it's a cr- really crappy piece of clothing, you throw it away. Yeah, but see, the thing is that I don't give them stuff that's like a ripped up undershirt. And yeah, then I'm no, like, why aren't you using that? No, I don't. Like, I give them stuff that's a little <laughs> frayed around the... Yeah, it stains. Yeah, but it's, it's, function- <laughs> but it's functional. Like, it will keep people warm. Like, it's not, you know, like the lining is torn out and I was using it to like, you know, wax my car. It, it's, you know, it's still functional. I don't give them my old underwear or, you know, like oh. this, this sock isn't going to make it, you know, like you just segued to a great story that happened to me two days ago. Okay. Uh, I, it was one of the most serendipitous lucky things that has happened to me. Probably the luckiest thing that has happened since I hit a Royal flush in Vegas last year on the debate vacation trip. Um, I don't know how much luckier cause that seems pretty lucky, but <laughs> I, uh, my car is in the shop this week because I, my insurance company insisted on sending me a check to have it like some aesthetic work done on it, which I could care less about because I let my car get scratched up and dinged up. But they sent me a check, and I couldn't cash the check myself. They had to send it to some body shops. I'm like, all right, I guess somebody will work on this, even though I hate dealing with these people, and they're all going to try to steal more money from me, and I'm uh, dubious and scared. But so I brought it into this local neighborhood place. And they promised to work on it and not charge me more money than the insurance company had offered to send. And I rented a car for the week that I took down to San Diego so we could go to Comic-Con. And uh, upon leaving uh, my apartment while I was parked here for a week, I scratched the, uh, the side view mirror on one of the posts near my parking spot, which is a super precarious parking spot. Okay. And so, of course, I freak out because I know that this is like, you know, I never buy the insurance that car rental companies offer you because i think it's a big scam and it's like a million dollars compared to what it would cost but once you do damage to the car and you have no insurance like i was positive like oh now they read you and it was like a little scratch but i'm sure they'd be like oh that'll be seven hundred dollars i'd be like but i could paint it and they're like nope we got paint overcoat second coat waterproofing you know decals the seven hundred dollars right 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 and so i was super pissed and flipping out and worrying and so i went down to the cvs and I bought this bottle of this thing called Scratch Remover, and I bought a little thing of turtle wax. These are two items that I never have bought in my entire life right. before. I so it's never... like that, that infomercial where you put it on it and the scratch disappears? Yeah, yeah, in my, in my mind. This is your tribute um, to Billy Mays. Exactly. So I go to the – I'm like working on this stupid rental car that I – you know. I'm putting like labor into this thing that I'm going to return that afternoon just in hoping that I can conceal this damage that I've done so that they don't charge me $1,000. And so I sit there and I hand wash the stupid car because you have to do that before you use the substance. Then I put this like white substance and let it dry and wipe it off and it does absolutely nothing and the scratches <laughs> are still there. And I like do it again and it does absolutely nothing. And, I, and then I turtle wax it so then it's like a really shiny scratch that it's like buffed up beautiful slippery scratch right in the middle of the car it's totally (laughs) obvious and as i'm working on the car and washing it i'm noticing all of these other little scratches that i didn't notice when i took the car out like there's a giant little dent in the door and there's like a bunch of little like a batch of scratches on the back bumper a a giant little dent i just want to point that out there's a massive little dent tiny finger shaped and i'm like oh no I'm screwed. I didn't notice any of these things as far as I know. They didn't, and it's not on record, and they're going to charge me for each one, and I'm totally screwed, and now I've buffed these scratches, so it's going to look like I tried to conceal all this damage because they're going to be like, why are these fresh scratches so slippery and shiny? And I'm like, I'm screwed, and they're going to take away my car rental like ability forever. <laughs> right. 
and I'm freaking out. And so I take the car back and decide to let them find it. Like, I'm not going to say anything. So I drop the car off with the guy out front, and then I'm checking out, and he's like, is everything good? Good. And then the guy from the back where I dropped it off with comes to the guy at the front desk. I'm checking out and sort of whispers in his ear. And I start to internally, like, freak out. And then the guy looks to me, and he's like, I'm going to go recheck the mileage on the car. And I'm like, oh, God, he's lying. He's lying. He's going to look at the damage. He's going to see the damage, the damage, the damage. It's going to be $1,000. This is going to be more than my whole car is worth. And the whole reason that I rented a car was I was getting it fixed for free. But now it's going to be like I fixed it out of my own pocket. Stupid scratches on a rental car. And then he comes back, and he's like, oh, he wrote down the mileage wrong. But I got it. You're all set. Bye-bye. And I was like (laughs) – dumbfounded but so elated that i would like they actually you know they gave me a ride home because it's my local um rental car and i was like chatting up the dude and hang out and giving high fives to the crew on the way out and i was like hey you got a great job i'm gonna recommend this place to all my friends i love it <laughs> it's the greatest place ever awesome and what it turned out had happened was when they make a list of all of the damage on the car before they give it to you. There's this little diagram that, you know, they have yep, yep, a carbon right. copy of, and they make little pencil marks where all the scratches are. And so I found the car- the carbon copy that I'd had that they made before I took the car out, and miraculously, every single ding and scratch that I'd found while I was hand detailing the stupid car was already on the diagram. There was a little thumb, little giant small dent in the back door. <laughs> And little pencil marks for scratches in the back. And there was even pencil coloring where the side view mirror would be on this diagram. And I'm like, it's already there. Everything's already there. And because apparently there had already been a very small scratch in the side view mirror. So when I made my much larger scratch in the side view mirror, you know, they can't tell the difference because it's already blacked out by pencil drawings that had already been damaged. And I just hadn't noticed any of these other things that I picked up and they were all there. And it was just very miraculous well, I'm thing. surprised that you're I'm glad to hear it but I'm surprised that you don't remember this Russ as being an issue when we went up to um when we went up to uh north of the North American Championships uh, in Montreal and I was the deputy um judicial direct you know judge director for America and uh you guys were I think you were with us on that trip weren't you like you you guys you guys came with us do you remember this and we basically what happened was I mean there are a lot of things that happened. Like, I mean you know, I went to Montreal as a judge once, but I didn't go as to compete. Ever. Maybe you were going. Maybe it was the time you went. This is a judge. Well, it was in the middle of the winter. It was bitter cold. Clea yeah. and I got in a fight. Like there was all this uh, bad stuff that happened. And one of the things that happened was that we, uh, while I was trying to park the van, I think it was in the basement garage of this one thing. Same kind of deal. Like we got a dent or something happened, and mm-hmm. we were all freaking out that this place was gonna you know see it and they were gonna what. Instead, it was the same thing. They're like, okay, thanks. And we're like, uh, thank you. <laughs> just like, and that was a case where it was not such a giant little dent. I mean, it was sort of a giant, giant dent. And it was just like, I guess, shallow enough that they hadn't really noticed it well. So we were like, all right, goodbye. You know, like, because once you're out of the building, then we're like, we don't know where that dent came from. I mean, we saw yep. some guy come up and hit it with a lead pipe after we left. We don't know, you know. But the whole way home from Montreal, we'd been like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Brandis will find out. One of us will have to – none of us can afford this because we're all students, so nobody can afford to do this ourselves and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, apparently these guys are not very good at, you know – double-checking their cars when they come in, you know? And I, I, I want to say that the object lesson is buy the insurance just for the peace of mind of having... Because you could just tear the car up to hell if you have the insurance and they can't do anything about it. But I still just can't ever get myself to buy the insurance before I go. I feel right. like it's a waste. Right. Right. Instead, I don't the object lesson is, is don't worry about it. <laughs> there was um, one year 
where we uh, we went down to one of the Columbia uh, tournaments, and uh, my debate partner was uh, parking. She had dropped a bunch of the people off, still had some of the people in the van was parking, and the brakes gave out, and uh, she pumped them, pumped them, pumped them, pumped them, nothing, and uh, she crashed into uh, another car. And Smith uh, said that there was nothing wrong with the brakes. The van was checked before we left, so it was our fault. And they took the uh, cost of the damages out of our budget. And wow. it, it took us a good two years to uh, to make up uh, that budget. That's uh, I That's when the I- thing that I was envisioning in my head. Yep. Is that they would crush my debate team that I run out of the apartment here. If it yeah. was, you know, I went, when I worked for Conperg, uh, the people locked, uh, this is when I realized that the Pergs are a scam. Um, I was field managing, and this one person accidentally locked the keys in the car. Uh, there was no way to get it, so we had to call a locksmith, and I ended up having to pay for the locksmith, even though there was literally nothing I could do. Yeah, and I was in my hometown. So what I should have done, apparently, was walk home, and then they would have had to walk back to Hartford, where they lived, which is like 40 minutes away. And I could have just been like, well, have a good time, guys, because I'm not paying for this. And it was after that happened. It was towards the end of the summer. And I'm like, and this is why the perks suck. Right. I will never work for you again. But, yeah. So, anyway, yeah. I guess that's all positive karma working in your favor, Russ. And it's yeah. uh, Usually it's the stuff. perg model is like we want to build an annex to our perg office. So, why don't you pay for it out of your pocket and then we'll reimburse you after the renovations are done. You're like, what? Yeah, are you out of your mind? Aren't you a business? And they're like, yeah, but, you know, just loan us the money because you work for us and you're a slave. And we're good people. And we're doing good. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Well, anyway, as much as we could talk more about the pergs and their problems, we have come to the end of an hour, a little bit over the hour, actually. We want to thank everybody for listening again. We want to uh, encourage everyone to continue checking in on the blog, which is doing very well, uh, and to continue checking in with us comments and uh, you know all those things that you guys can do. Uh, and please keep a lookout um, for you know the MEP report at various places. And if you have friends that uh, you think would be interested, or even that wouldn't be, if you have enemies that you'd like to bother, um, you know they should also know about the MEP report. So, so tell everyone about the MEP report that you know, uh, and we would appreciate it very much. Um, what, so what was the quote? If you if you use puppets, you won't be dated? Right. If you That's use right. puppets, you won't be dated. Um, and you should keep that in mind. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. You use them. See, that's 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 the key word. Is what are you using? If you them strike for? my puppet down, it will come back stronger and more powerful than you could possibly imagine. You should recover any candelabras or <laughs> replicas on your local highway or uh, throughway. Please send them to the emu. Yes. Uh, yeah, see, I mean, there has to be like that's the problem, right? Is if they were still there, they could go. They probably have friends. They should send a bunch of friends to go try to find things. They need, like, an adopt-a-highway crew to get exactly. on the Everyone, like, hold hands and walk up the highway <laughs> trying to find these. <laughs> How many lives are we going to sacrifice for these candelabras and turtles? This is the opposite of the message of the blog post. Blood <laughs> <laughs> will be heaped on our useless papers and photographs until they're all retrieved. They are invaluable. Oh, man. They could close it down. They close it down for, like, Parades or something. They should close it down for. Drive f- down the wrong way down the road so that all the cars have to clear out and park it near the debris and then. Right. Exactly. Leave the rest of the town looking for any missing objects. 
and they could pull in like CSI or something to see like the weather patterns to see where they would have f- flown. The most boring CSI <laughs> ever. <laughs> what if government spent their resources on trash? The stimulus, baby. Well, the, if it, if the weight of the turtle, if the turtle was made out of cedar, <laughs> and it was at two forty-one p.m. when the wind was gusting at a five miles per hour due northeast. If only there were semen on these turtles, we could find them in. <laughs> oh, thank God that it the, the show a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> Some things I think they might be right. Let's see who reads the turtle. The Left Report is brought to you by a cadre of emu farmers and Australian government organisations. No, I'm just kidding. The Left Report's an independent podcast not affiliated with emus or the Emu Glen Farming Association. You can mail the mappers via the electronic mail at russclearstoryandgreat at mapreport.com. Feel free to propagate the website, which is at mapreport.com, and visiting your various social networking organizations on the internet to propagate emu-centric satirical podcasts. Thanks very much. Another day away